0: Welcome to the PsychNP Podcast, where we talk all about the life and work of being a psychiatric nurse practitioner in various settings and types of practices. I'm your host, Matt Schroer, rhymes with flamethrower. I desperately wish this episode was brought to you by Rick Rubin, but it is most certainly brought to you by a stuffed animal needing an IV infusion. Jess, it's so good to see you. I see you all the time, but it's always fun when I get to run into you. And I tell people all the time that you are my model because you went to high school where my son goes to school. And so if, if anyone, my son could turn out to be like is you. And if he turns out anywhere close to you, I will be so thrilled and so happy that where he is at school now produced Jess Walker. And so I'm going to be just, absolutely thrilled.
1: Well, you are too kind. I truly believe he needs to be more like you and less like me. So no
0: way, not a chance. Less of me in the world. That is definitely, definitely a thing. (laughs) But thanks for coming on today, because you have a really unique role in what you've been doing in mental health for a long time. And so I think people would really benefit from hearing about what you've done and the really unique population that you've served your entire career, essentially. So first off, tell us how you got into nursing and how you came to be a psych NP and an RN and all that kind of stuff.
1: All right. Let me think back here. I was always interested in healthcare, which was pretty unusual because no one in my family was in healthcare. And I just had a bunch of healthcare experiences, frankly, that made me enjoy it and enjoy seeing what people did in that field. And what kinds
0: of things did you do that you discovered you liked healthcare?
1: Literally just going and seeing either if I was getting healthcare treatment or if someone else was. So it wasn't anything very specific or training. Because I was even when I was very, very young, I probably was definitely in elementary school or younger. I wanted to work in healthcare even then because I would set up my playroom to be like a hospital or like a clinic. And I remember that. And so I really liked healthcare, but I also really liked teaching. And so I would sometimes set up the playroom to be like a classroom too. And I didn't even know at the time that you could combine both.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, you figured that out.
1: Yes, I had no clue then. And I don't think back then I did not know specifically what role I wanted to be. But I remember stealing a little tube that my mom put flowers in and a string and one of her stu- sewing needles and making an IV. And oh, wow. So, yeah.
0: It was the first time you started an IV on a stuffed animal.
1: Exactly. And it how was, did it go? Well, there were no complaints. So I guess. Perfect.
0: They were safe. That's a start. Yes.
1: But I knew from a young age, and nobody around me was in healthcare other than people I was seeing just from mm-hmm. different experiences. And I just kept going with that. And so I think once I was able to specify more that I wanted to be a nurse, because I knew I wanted to be a nurse. I actually wanted to be an FNP for a really long time. Okay. And so when I started college, when I started undergrad, I went to nursing school with the ultimate goal of thinking I was going to be an FNP.
0: Okay.
1: So, however, when I was in undergrad, I took an abnormal psychology course, which was part of my training, and I fell in love with it.
0: That's the turning point for lots of people in psych is like, tell me about this DSM thing. Exactly. Yeah. And
1: I was amazed that the paper could know what was going through people's minds. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that even makes sense, but I was fascinated. I'm like, how did this, this DSM? Yeah. How could it predict what people were thinking and experiencing? And I was just so fascinated by it. And I loved abnormal psychology. And then once I started my clinical rotations in my BSN program, I was in a state psychiatric hospital and assigned to the chronic unit, and I fell in love with it. Hmm. And it was fascinating to me. As you can imagine, there's a lot of interesting things for people that are in a state psychiatric hospital long term. And so I saw a lot of interesting things, and it just felt really right to me. So I then changed my plans from more general medicine, like I was planning to start going in psych. And I was so lucky to have people in my BSN program that helped guide me through the process and got me to have some experience. And so I got to pick my final rotation, I wanted to do more mental health. And also when I was in the BSN program, I got to do a summer internship. And I was doing all med surge. And so I was enjoying it, but I also realized I was really drawn towards patients with psychiatric issues. And so I did enjoy it a lot though. And then I was hired on to be essentially more or less a nursing assistant okay. during the final time of my BSN program. So I was working at this hospital more or less like a nursing assistant type role, and I got to float to all the different medical surgical units, essentially. Okay. And so I was enjoying it, but I always asked to be assigned to the patients who had psychiatric diagnoses. And so when I was doing that, I was like, okay, well, maybe this is probably confirmation that this is what I needed to be because I was originally signed up to already have a med-surg nursing role. Okay. Because I had decided at that point I was originally going to try to go right into an FMP program, but then I was like, maybe I want to work as a nurse, and then I set up the med surg role, and then I was like, wait a minute, I really want to find a psychiatric nursing role, okay. and I was very lucky, once again, that I was working at the facility I was already working at, my BSN program, and I heard they were starting a pilot program for a psychiatric nurse residency, and I knew immediately that's what I wanted to do, and so I did that. Nice. And so that's how I started my first nursing job. And I was in the nurse residency program was for a year. And it was absolutely amazing because it was inpatient psychiatric hospital. And it let me be exposed to all the different units. Okay. So I got to work some with children and adolescents, but I've always just been drawn a little more towards adults. So that's where I primarily worked. But I worked with all of our different so populations of substance Use disorders unit, thought disorders unit, mood disorders, child, adolescent. We also got some other outpatient, other types of experiences throughout that. And so I really enjoyed seeing everything and knew that psychiatry was right for me. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up staying as a nurse and ending up working for five years as a inpatient psychiatric nurse. Except for part of the time, I did work in the psychiatric emergency department for part of that time as well. Okay. And I loved my nursing experience. It was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. But I did still always have that goal of eventually becoming a nurse practitioner like I did from the very beginning. And then I found out there are psychiatric (laughs) mental health nurse practitioners. And so that became my plan. And actually, I worked full time as a nurse for five years But for the last three of those years, I was also a part-time student in psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner program.
0: Okay. So you worked simultaneously as when you were going to school. Yes, exactly. How was that?
1: It was, you know, it worked well for me. I thought it was a good balance because I was a full-time employee. Yeah. And so I, I felt like I kept gaining new knowledge as a nurse. I had a lot of exposure to seeing different medications in different situations and then I was a part-time student for three years. Mm. Because the program that I did, I was able to go to school and work full time if I did the program over three years. Gotcha. Okay. And it ended up working out really well for me. So okay. I I enjoyed getting to be a student and a full time employee at the same time. For sure. And then for a couple of those years I also got to teach a little part-time in a BSN program for mental health nursing. Okay, nice. And and I love that as well, too. Yeah. So I was really happy. I was able to combine all my different interests during that time, and it was a wonderful five-year. It was a busy but wonderful five years for me.
0: So then you finished your NP, and then you immediately, correct me if I'm wrong, started working with the street psychiatry program, right?
1: Yes, essentially. So when I got my NP – I was trying to figure out where I wanted to work because I'd worked with all these different populations and I had just assumed that I'd work outpatient, which was interesting because I had always worked inpatient and I liked inpatient, but I just kept seeing a lot of outpatient positions. Mm-hmm. And so I assumed that's where I would work. I wanted to stay in my same organization too. And so I narrowed it down to my organization. I was originally looking at different outpatient adult positions okay. I'd also narrowed down I felt like I wanted to stay with adults and then much to my surprise this amazing position came open to work actually with a homeless health services team that had okay. been newly developed and I first of all had never worked exclusively with individuals experiencing homelessness however I worked with a lot of individuals experiencing homelessness as a nurse. For sure.
0: Just by the nature of doing mental health, you end up working with people in all kinds of transition.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so I had never even thought about it when this job came to be. I had never even thought about working exclusively with that population. Didn't even know it could be an option, but it was a new program. And I thought about it. And to be honest, I was little bit nervous. I didn't know if that was the right fit for me because it was something I had not done. But I was definitely interested. And then I found out that my primary role would be working on the adult consultation liaison psychiatry service because homeless health services had different branches. And so my role as the nurse practitioner, because there was already a physician who was amazing. And my role was to be pretty much the Monday through Friday person on the consult service. But I also got to do some street psychiatry time -hmm. as well, because that was the outpatient clinic of the homeless health services program. And so, yes, I then got to experience both of those for another five years, more or less after that. So that was my next five ish year block of time But, yeah, I loved doing consults and I loved any time I could get in the street psychiatry program as
0: well. So talk about what kind of a day was like for you. You said you were the Monday to Friday person. And I remember us going to a holiday party one year, a work holiday party, (laughs) and you were like It was like 930 or something on a Friday night, and you were checking voicemails because you were getting phone calls from said physician who was reaching out to you. I'm like, Jess, do you ever stop? Like, when is this? So you say Monday through Friday, but what was Monday through Friday like? What did did it look like for you?
1: Yeah, no, we stayed really, really busy. And so my schedule was a little bit different. And I should say, too, that when I started my job, I had never officially done a psychiatric consult before. So I should probably add that. (laughs) So when this position came about, I was like, I think I might like working with individuals experiencing homelessness. And I think I might like doing psychiatric consults, but I'm really not sure because I hadn't. Because my clinical time didn't experience any of those things. Yeah, I didn't have it. However, I was lucky because going back to that nursing assistant position I had, It was the same hospital where I would be doing the consults at. And I did when I was in that nursing assistant position. I always admired what the psychiatric consultants were doing. I always was interested in what the work they were doing. So I had that indirect experience seeing them, but I had never actually done it. But I knew what they did, and I was familiar with the facility, which was helpful. And so I did. I absolutely loved the physician leading the program i loved the team and i said yes and i'm so glad i did because i loved it but the schedule did it changed quite a bit stayed very busy like you mentioned mm-hmm. but more or less for the most part i was on call about taking all new consoles with whoever was on the team at the time because i was the only nurse practitioner But there was usually at least one physician on, more or less. And we took new consults from about eight to four. But, you know, with consults, if you have multiple come in right at four, then you don't leave at four because then you go do the consults. Yeah. And so the time kind of varied when we would come or go. And also having a subspecialty consult service was really neat because... We were seeing everyone, obviously, who needed a psychiatric consult, who was admitted medically, or who was in the emergency department, who also was experiencing homelessness. Yeah. And so I was learning about consults. I was learning about homeless health care and just learning about how to be a nurse practitioner all at the same time. So I learned a ton. And once again, I could not, and I tell this to everyone who's looking at jobs, I could not have done it without the physician that I had that was Mm -hmm. able to help train me. And I was also even more lucky that she had a lot of experience training physicians already. So she loved to teach, and I was very lucky to have that as well to get me up and going and have that experience and extra training that I needed. Cause clearly I had never done a consultation liaison psychiatry fellowship.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah, like she had.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And like the other physicians that had, and there were some other nurse practitioners on the larger consult service, but we were divided up into subspecialties. And so my subspecialty service was the homeless health services mm-hmm. part of that. But I really, I loved it. So the consults, of course, the amount could vary per day, which I also didn't know if I would like that because I'd always had more structured
0: things sure.
1: in my life. But It is
0: kind of loosey-goosey sometimes. So like, if nobody yes. shows up, then you're twiddling your thumbs waiting for something to happen. It
1: is. And I don't know if this makes sense, but before I was in nursing, I was a lifeguard for about six years. <laughs> and
0: no, I, th- so- I think it, it tracks, right? <laughs> like, it's a fair parallel.
1: Yes. And so I did. I was a lifeguard for about six years. And... That's how lifeguarding is, too, because sometimes people are in the pool, sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's an emergency, you need to do first aid or something, sometimes there's not. And so the time I before I was a nurse, I think, helped prepare me. I also was a swim instructor. I did some swim lessons then, too, and so I did lifeguarding primarily and some swim teaching, and so well, you um,
0: you had to alleviate a lot of anxiety doing swim lessons, I'm sure, because you had ter- <laughs> terrified people who were like, "I'm not getting in that pool, <laughs> I might die."
1: Exactly. I guess this prepared me well for psych, which is, you know, for it all sure. worked out. But yeah, I think that kind of prepared me too. So with consults, I was kind of used to that because mm-hmm. I had done that for quite a, you know, I started as a teenager, of course, but I did it most my way throughout college too. And so I was used to that unpredictableness of what could happen. Yeah. And so I think that probably helped me sure. with, the, with the new consult schedule. Yeah. But yes, I enjoyed it. I really loved it. Um, We covered all the different units. So all several ICUs and also the emergency department, like I mentioned. And so we got to see literally everything. So mm-hmm. all the different units burn unit, trauma unit, oncology unit, cardiology units, every unit you can possibly there's many, many, so I'll stop naming right now. But <laughs> I
0: But you were needed in all of them probably. Exactly. Yeah. we needed
1: in all of them. And so I was always learning too because um, as part of the consult rule, you know, in order to help treat people you have to even understand what they're medically admitted for, right? So yep. I was always learning new things about different medical diagnoses as well. And so it was just really fascinating. I absolutely loved the job. It was great. That was a great experience. So did the consult part, but then also did the street psychiatry. Mm -hmm. And so how that schedule looked is that our physician had a ton of experience with street psychiatry. And so she set up the perfect schedule in that the mornings of street psychiatry involved... Everyone who was on getting together and doing kind of engagement with people at a common area, usually a pretty like a common campsite where a lot of people were. So people could get used to us. We could get used to them. So that wasn't essentially a clinician piece at that time. That was more engagement Mm -hmm. and always with the street psychiatry team. We're always with. Outreach workers as well. And so they could help show us, which was wonderful, show us great places to go and who might need seeing.
0: What were their backgrounds?
1: They have all sorts of different backgrounds. A lot of people had done social work, but not just social work, all types of backgrounds, which was really neat too. Mm -hmm. And so they knew, you know, what was going on, who could really benefit from services, where good places would be. And so having the partnership with them as part of the clinic was amazing to have their expertise and their services too. So the first couple hours of any street clinic day, because the street clinic was a once a week day, okay. and I did not go every week by far. I went periodically because I was often in the hospital. Yeah, But the first couple hours were that engagement time where the whole street psych team along with the outreach workers, did that kind of community building time. And then the rest of the day was appointments. So actual appointments like you would have in any other outpatient clinic, except that it was where the patient felt most comfortable. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it would be their tent under bridges, or sometimes people would prefer to meet places like McDonald's. You know, it it could really vary. And so it was – interesting getting to have that experience somewhere else and just getting to see where people were living and whatnot. And so that really helped my time as an inpatient consult provider, because I could really understand what people were going through, because I had often seen where they lived. Yeah. And so that really helped build connections as an inpatient provider, because it's like, yes, I have seen your campsite, or yes, I have seen that bridge. And so I understand the barriers to getting a walker there or I understand yeah, why sure. you could not plug in a CPAP machine there or you know those types of things. And that really helped build rapport on the inpatient service, which was my primary role, having those experiences. sure, And also just them knowing that I knew usually if they were working with outreach workers that I often knew the outreach workers or at least knew of the different teams that they were familiar with. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty easy for most cases to build some sort of connection, whether it's the common agency they worked with or were familiar with or whatnot. So that really helped strengthen relationships, and I really think it helped the care I provided as an inpatient provider.
0: For sure. And this came up in another recording, but when you see where people are every single day, you do have a new understanding and a new appreciation. You have a glimpse into what every day looks like because we get snapshots of people in all of our environments. So, me in an outpatient setting, but they're on my turf. I'm not on their turf when they see me. And so, I don't get to see people in their sort of true element. One thing that's been interesting with move to telemedicine is you do get to see a little bit more of that, albeit in a very small window on a computer and like kind of what they want you to see. But I think that seeing people in their home or their environment or where they are most comfortable, I think you get a different version of that person a lot of times.
1: Absolutely.
0: And I think that that can lead to better care, but especially if they trust you then there probably are very much disarmed a lot of times by being in that setting versus this cold kind of sterile environment where you know you're showing up and somebody's going to start grilling you with questions.
1: Absolutely. And seeing everything from the street clinic, even getting to some places was very challenging for me personally. Sure. Then knowing if somebody had an injury that, oh, no, there's no way they could get to where they normally stay or something because we we had been there. And so all those little things are very helpful, and especially if people are coming inpatient, often not well people usually don't come planned, you know, but especially if they had something really traumatic happen to them. And unfortunately, a lot of people I saw really didn't have anybody with them. They didn't have – you know, friends or family usually gather, and I'm talking pre-COVID. I realized sure. there's a lot of limitations to that. Yeah. But that was one thing that when I started homeless health care, <laughs> that I realized that I took note of whenever there were visitors. When pre-homeless health care, I would be surprised more often when there weren't visitors. So that kind of flipped too. Yeah. And so. Oftentimes, that was just the reality of it. And so being able to connect with them, especially if they didn't have anybody else or that could explain. Because, you know, especially if you're not feeling well in the hospital, you want someone to explain or fill in or help you listen or whatnot. Sure. And so being able to have as many connections to what they're going through as possible, especially if they're by themselves, I think was even more helpful
0: for that situation. And what a beautiful way to advocate for that patient to people who don't speak that language, don't understand that you can't plug in a CPAP machine under a bridge, right? There's no outlets. And like taking your medicine is really difficult, because I have only a limited number of things and maybe it's going to get stolen or maybe it's going to start pouring rain and i'm going to have to run somewhere and grab everything i can and i might leave something behind right and just knowing that you speak that language you understand that and some attending on a i don't know pulmonary unit or something is not going to get that
1: yeah and I, and i came in the same way i'd been in healthcare i guess about 6 years before i became a nurse practitioner And I had so much to learn when I started Homeless Health Services. And so starting out, getting that street psychiatry experience made a huge difference in my knowledge on homeless health care. But then also just trying to learn what the different resources were too and being able to understand those that, okay, this shelter, if somebody discharges, it's going to be closed now. So going here at this time is going to be really difficult or if they're at this shelter, they can't stay during the day and then they really can't get their dressings wet. And so there's another barrier, but all those little things that you learn about the different homeless health resources in your community also come with the job because you hear about them, you learn them. And it's really important because people discharging to a home with bricks and mortar and all the drywall and all those fun things <laughs> yeah it's a different discharge than somebody discharging to a shelter or the streets or a combination of both and so being able to just I realized too the more understanding I had of the resources for the community that also helped the people I was working with because sure. they are like okay she understands so we have that and that piece settled and so mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about explaining it to her or anything like that and so i felt like that was very beneficial when working with that population and it's very hard to keep up with i definitely did not know all the resources but i learned as much as i could as often as i could because i wanted to be as helpful as i could and those little things though too as you can imagine people discharging from medical hospitals often need wound care often need a lot of equipment and That can be very difficult if you are not in a traditional home setting. For sure. As we often think about. Yeah. For for people who are discharging.
0: Well, and what an excellent opportunity for a nurse who already thinks that way, (laughs) thinks about everything that could go on that's really contributing to this person and what is making them sick or well. So a nurse is a perfect fit for that.
1: Yeah. I loved being a nurse and, when I started learning everything else as a nurse practitioner because I was on homeless health services, I was like, I wish I knew this for years. Yeah. Like, there's always so much that can but that's like any specialty, sure. right? Whatever specialty you go into, there's always more to learn. Mm-hmm. And I did just living it for that many years each year, I would learn more about psychiatry, which i mm-hmm. you know, as a new provider, I was still a new provider, right? As a new NP. So I was trying to learn more about the NP role, like I said, but then trying to learn more about homeless healthcare, trying to learn more about consults, all the different areas. And it was just continuous learning all the time, which I enjoy. So I was sure. happy with that for sure. But all the same new nurse practitioner concerns that people have. Yeah. I, I definitely had all of those and was trying to navigate and in my new system and in my new world.
0: Mm-hmm. But to mm-hmm. highlight something that you said earlier, you found this mentor, yes. you found this person that took you under her wing and really helped you and helped you to feel better about, cause you can't know everything. Right. You can't have every experience that you could ever possibly have to know, like, ah, I can go back to that and tap into that memory of what I did. Like, you just can't do that. It's not possible to have all those things. And so having somebody that you trust, and who you value their knowledge and their opinion and their guidance is so crucial. I had the same thing. And I would really rely on her frequently and say, hey, what do you do in this situation? Like have this and like, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. And so having that person is huge. You're never in this by yourself. Like healthcare is a team sport and find people who you really value, who are important to you, who've been where you you are (laughs) and can help you out through that. It's a sign of strength and it's a sign of being a good provider and a good nurse that you're reaching out to other people And getting collaboration because two brains are always better than one and thinking about situations and problems.
1: Absolutely. And I was so thankful for all that support. I was very lucky to have support in my job role and then so many people that helped me in my educational path as well. So many faculty that were helpful. And so having. That whole team makes a world of a difference, when, especially when you're starting out. It makes a difference all the time, especially when you're starting out. And also, working with patients experiencing homelessness, I mean, the gratitude and just the the way they were was amazing. So for people to have absolutely nothing and to still have such positive attitudes or to be so grateful for even the smallest of things at times seeing them was just amazing. And sure. that I think was very helpful to you. And I've actually only worked with individuals experiencing homelessness the entire time I've been a nurse practitioner.
0: Yeah. Which is great because like you said, you know, those people, those people, that's a rude way to say that, but like individuals who come from that background frequently, people don't make eye contact with them. Right. They just pass them by. Don't look at them because if I make eye contact with them, then they're going to ask me for something. And then, oh, uh, so I just, I'm just not going to do that. And so, for somebody to lean into them and say, no, I'm going to help and this is how I can do it, it probably does mean just a tremendous amount.
1: Yeah. I was just amazed at the resilience of so many people that I met. And I mean, I just can't imagine what it's like every day to have to worry about where you're going to sleep or where you're going to get your next meal and all these things. Oh my gosh. And then if we're meeting them, they clearly have some medical issue or they couldn't have been inpatient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Then you have clearly have some medical issue. And then if I'm meeting them, they're clearly having some psychiatric concern as well. And so they have so much on them. I mean, that's a lot yes. to, to have on you, but people were just so grateful all the time and it was an amazing experience to see and i that really kept me going a lot of the time and for sure really helped me enjoy the job even more so yeah. A huge shout out to the patients, too.
0: <laughs> absolutely. That's why we do what we do. And and resilience is like, I cannot, I wouldn't last 10 minutes.
1: Oh, no, I wouldn't. No.
0: It, like, it'd be awful. It would be absolutely awful. And so for somebody to have that much strength to be able to do that and continue to put one foot in front of the other mm-hmm. is miraculous, honestly.
1: I know. For the street site clinic, I would feel bad because I would be out there, what, just even less than an hour sometimes, depending on what it was. And if it's freezing or very hot, and I'm already miserable, and I'm like, okay, this is how it is for them all the time. And I just couldn't imagine. So clearly I had no room to complain, although I'm thinking in my head this is so cold or this is so hot. And then for them, most of them also were having concurrent like medical issues too, which – oftentimes do not do well in extreme temperatures. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm in pain and I'm psychotic and and I'm homeless.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So I got to meet so many amazing people in this line of work. And for that, I'm very grateful. And I'm always grateful when people are able to share their stories. Sure. Because people have had amazing stories and have been through so much. And as you can imagine, just such a variety of stories, but to get to spend more time and probably get to know people more experiencing homelessness than when I was seeing people not experiencing homelessness in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways, especially people did not have any visitors or any loved ones or or whatnot is that sometimes happened to be the case. So it was, it's just an amazing, if you're, if you're thinking about homeless healthcare, I would highly, highly recommend it Mm -hmm. because the between the patients and what you learn and what you see and there's a lot of I think creativity that goes on that I learned from my amazing team trying to navigate a lot of these challenges like okay so if somebody has a drain and a wound they need this and then they need long-acting injectables and whatnot like where is it where can they be discharged and what can do so I felt like from a team side, too, from a provider side, there's a lot of different creativity. Of course, working with the patients to help navigate these things, sometimes it kind of be like a puzzle trying to figure out all the different aspects sure. and, and what could be the best for them. And huge shout out to all the amazing social workers <laughs> and case managers mm-hmm. that could not do work without them. Interdisciplinary care is huge, but I feel like in homeless health care, it can be even more like essential for sure situations.
0: Well, just as you said, speaking to the amount, just knowing what resources are out there and are available, it takes a lot of people and a lot of people who are thinking in different ways to understand that and to know what all of those resources are. And so it does take just a ton of different disciplines and how people think about patient care in their own unique ways to really provide this incredibly holistic and wraparound services that people need.
1: Absolutely. And we had so many interdisciplinary care meetings, as you can imagine, Yeah, because we needed all of us and we needed our different perspectives to try to figure out best plans for people and what we could do to best serve them. And I learned so much from different disciplines and, and their ideas and how they see things. And so I also would say that, If you're interested in interdisciplinary care, homeless health care is another great avenue Mm -hmm. to to see that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what was a really hard day doing that job?
1: Yeah, that is a good question. I think it, it was hard to, there were a lot of hard things, I'll put it that way. So one avenue is thinking about people knowing that things still aren't going to be going well for them, right? So we can only do so much. We can give it our all, but we cannot change every factor. And I saw a lot of people in incredibly terrible situations from all sorts of avenues that you can think of and just knowing that we can't fix it. Sure. (laughs) And so that was very difficult for me because I would like to fix things if I could, but I cannot fix everything. So... We learned that, and having a good team support all is huge. With that, having a good team that you can debrief with each other and talk to each other, but knowing that there were certain things we cannot fix for people, that was very difficult. Also, working inpatient too, there are a lot of times that people were coming in that weren't going to be able to leave the hospital, right? Yeah. So they were coming in for like very traumatic injuries or very severe conditions. And knowing that this was their end of life Mm -hmm. and being able to walk through that with them, I feel like was an honor, like getting to spend somebody's last days with them, especially if they didn't have any other family Mm -hmm. or friends or visitors or whatnot in their very last days. So that was a huge honor for me to even be able to be in that space with them. And so clearly those were very hard days because sometimes patients would come in, but they they did not get to leave, yeah. as you can imagine, just yeah. because of all the different complications that can happen. So those are a couple of things that kind of stick out in my mind.
0: Sure. And I'm glad you said that because I think a lot of times we, as psych providers, experience patient loss. You do this long enough and it's just going to happen. Unfortunately, it's just something that does happen to us. Human life is incredibly fragile and we do interact with people who are in all sorts of difficult situations. And so I think sometimes we think, oh, psych is not oncology and psych is not stuff where people die all the time. But it is something that I think we have to prepare for a little bit and to think about. But yeah, what a blessing to be a part of that and just being present with that person. I'm sure it meant a tremendous amount to have somebody there with them at the end.
1: Absolutely. I did not think of that going... Into my MP career, actually, mm-hmm. that you could need to be in the situation where you're there with somebody their final days, and that is the plan. That's the only thing that can happen. That is sure. the plan. And but I also I learned so many things that I never thought I'd be doing having people on vents, being with people mm-hmm. who are vented, or I learned so much about capacity evaluations and capacity. So all of that, or of course, being with people who are really agitated for oftentimes do to yeah.
0: the
1: primary psychiatric diagnosis and can be a lot of agitation and those types of things. So there are a lot of difficult days, but I will say that I feel like the good days outweigh the
0: difficult yeah. days. Yeah, And I think you've spoken really well to what's really satisfying about the work that you do is being an advocate for somebody and seeing somebody just thankful and grateful and appreciative and making some progress in a situation that essentially every possible barrier you could have is put in front of you.
1: Exactly. That's what I have been trying to say. You just said it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, every barrier I could possibly imagine sometimes were occurring and yeah. they still are grateful a lot of times at the end of the day for what you can do. And I think mm-hmm. I think that's the thing I learned quickly, too, is that patients can tell when you're trying. And yes. They know when you're doing your best and when you're trying, I think people can just tell that because it's, they know. I mean, people know. And they for
0: damn sure know when you don't care to.
1: (laughs) So both sides of that coin. And so as long as you can go in and do the very best you can do every day, people, they do see that. Yeah. People respect that for the most part.
0: Yeah. Did you ever get to go home during the week? (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) You did? (laughs) Yes. No, we stayed. I I wish I could say that. There weren't a lot of individuals experiencing homelessness because it is such a different lifestyle mm-hmm. or a difficult lifestyle. But there are there are a lot of individuals experiencing homelessness. Yeah. So there are a lot of people to try to see and try to help. And so, yes, the days could be very long. Yes. But, yes, we did get to go home. And I think about that a lot, too, going home. It's like, I get to go home. Yeah. How lucky am I? Like yeah. Even if I'm having a really bad day, it's like, I get to go home. Yeah go home and it's gonna be warm it's gonna be cool or whatever Mm -hmm. you know with our weather it could be like both in the same day yes
0: but (laughs) I can take a shower and I have food and I have all these things that I take for granted
1: exactly so yes that in and of itself I feel like it's always a good reality check going to work Mm -hmm. like work clinically and this type of work it's a huge reality check because if I am often having a bad day it will usually turn me around because I'm like, okay, well, they're going through X, Y, and Z and yep. you know, not to compare situations, but it's hard not to turn your day or outlook sure. around when you yeah. are seeing things like that over and over.
0: Yeah. And think there, but by the grace of God goes me, right? Yes. Like I could totally be in that situation. Absolutely, There's zero reason why we couldn't flip roles. Right. And so it just is humbling work that we do and i think you could speak to that you know i think a lot more than some other people could just within this field working with those folks for sure
1: yeah and people too we see patients needing transplants or waiting for transplants mm-hmm. and the barriers to not having a home or support systems for transplants is just huge or people needing chemotherapy or people needing huge operations and all these other things with everything else they're facing So learn so much and trying to concurrently manage the psychiatric aspect of it. Yeah. There's always something to learn. Always.
0: Yeah. You've spoken a little bit about learning and being new and that sort of stuff. How long do you (laughs) think it was before you felt pretty confident that anything that kind of came through you could handle?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Because I I have to say, like, especially working on all the different units, there was always something new, like medically, too. Because, Mm -hmm. for instance, if you're doing a capacity evaluation, you have to understand the whole situation and what's happening in order to do that. And so I don't know. I would probably say, though, vaguely a couple years until I was like, okay, I've kind of got a better grasp on things. Yeah. But always something new could walk through the door and the great thing about where I was working is there's such a large team of people to help. And so mm-hmm. I realized that sometimes we would need like dozens of people to weigh in on something. Cause there's the complexity of the situation. And so I always felt like there was something to do. Probably after a couple of years, I felt a little bit more comfortable, yeah. but also knowing that there are still things where we're probably going to need dozens of people to weigh in and try to figure out what to do. yeah. Having all those people around me in, in my corner really helped.
0: <laughs> so you don't have to, and you can't know everything.
1: No, no, you can, you do not. And you can't. And with consults, a lot of times you literally cannot have paperwork with you. Right. Yeah. And, and so especially going into contact rooms, for instance, contact precaution rooms, like mm-hmm. you can't just have papers or computer or this or that. Yeah. I think I envisioned when I first graduated that I would have like the desk and the computer and the books or whatnot. And then I realized.
0: Up to date and a tab open. Exactly. And another window, yeah.
1: Exactly. And then I realized, I'm like, oh, that's not how it's happening. So (laughs) I never had a laptop or a tablet or a lot of things with me because often, one, I literally couldn't if you're needing to be in full gear to see Sure, yeah. Also, too, there often isn't enough time in the medical hospital because you have to move quickly in and out of yep. different places. Well, and especially
0: in the ED, right? In the
1: ED, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I readjusted my plan of what I thought it would be when I was new because mm-hmm. I couldn't have everything right at the tip of my finger and just learned more about what consults entailed and what each setting entailed and how to make things work.
0: Yeah, it is interesting how we get this preconceived idea of what the expectations of this role are going to be. And then you get into them, you're like, Whoa, that was not what I thought it was going to be. But not always bad, right? I think our expectations could be worse than what they actually end up being. And then I think all things worth doing are difficult. Mm -hmm. And so if you're doing really meaningful work like that, that's really important. It's gonna be hard. This is work that is you're gonna get dirty doing it. And it's, important work, but it's going to be hard. And so giving yourself grace to know that, like, I don't have to know everything. And I can't know everything. But I'm surrounded by a lot of people who can help me and have their own expertise and their own knowledge set. And we work great as a team. I felt this way when I first got out of school I was like, I have to know every single thing and every dose of every medicine. Because I'm going to get into a situation, I'm not going to know it, and it's going to be terrible, and it's going to be the worst thing ever. And that was me totally just catastrophizing about a situation and my own insecurities about being a provider and being in charge and seeing people. But after a while, I was like, oh, wait, I have people. (laughs) Like, I have friends, and I have mentors, and I have colleagues who I can rely on and talk to. And people who, walking down the hall and going to the therapist and saying, hey, what do you think about this? is the absolute best way to practice because more people talking and thinking about things, the better and giving yourself grace to know that I don't have to be perfect straight out of the gate.
1: No, you do not. Absolutely. You do not. And having a strong team has made a world of a difference for me. And I know like, just like you said, it, it really does. It helps. And then of course you have the knowledge, you have the resources, but there's always something new that can come up that you might not have ever seen, or you might not be sure what to do. Cause I really did the whole time I was in school. I envisioned myself doing med management because mm-hmm. that's just, I guess what I assumed I was going to be doing. And then a lot of time I'm like, wait a minute, this is a consult for capacity. This is different than yeah <laughs> what my plan was. And so yeah. you, there's so many things that we can do and you learn and you adjust and I'm thankful I've had all those experiences, but Mm. you never know. That's the good thing about this role. There's so many things you can do. So you never know what you might end up doing. (laughs) Yeah. But
0: you found this amazing niche for you. And don't let me put words in your mouth, but it seems like it fits incredibly well.
1: Yes, no, it does. And I did not know that going into it. Like I said, I was frankly a little bit nervous because I didn't know. And now I have continued to focus to work exclusively with individuals experiencing homelessness because I, have just felt that's where my calling has been now mm-hmm. and that's what I have really enjoyed. So that is what I'm doing now.
0: Too. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your role now and what you're doing with individuals experiencing homelessness.
1: Yes. So now it's similar, same population, but I'm doing more outpatient consults okay. instead of inpatient consults. And so I go work with individuals at a nonprofit agency with their own homeless outreach team. And so I go there as a consultant, and I do, in most cases, one-time consults for them. And so I see them do like more of a one-time diagnostic consult because they are in a program that is helping them with obtaining disability. So there's Mm -hmm. a program for individuals experiencing homelessness that can help them obtain disability if they have a psychiatric diagnosis. And so that was the very short, quick and short version of it. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of details of it, but I really love that because I was used to doing consults and so I'm still doing consults, still getting to meet a lot of different people and getting to, you know, help clarify diagnoses and such with them. And, um, so I'm used to that aspect of it. And then of course I wanted to stick with the same population.
0: Yeah. You also serve on a board, for a local community mental health center nonprofit talk nice. a little bit about that. Like, what is that like? Yeah, And I'm and mostly selfishly curious, because I feel like that's something that I should probably do at some point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. It has been wonderful, too. So we I'm learning all sorts of things being on the board, too. Mm-hmm. And I help with different aspects. And it's nice being on a mental health agency while you are a clinician. Yeah. So you can kind of see it from that lens. But of course, I'm also learning all different aspects of more of what the work entails. But once again, you know, with the board, not ever, everyone is a clinician. So you're working with interdisciplinary team members. And I... When I wanted to do something, I'm like, this is really what I want to do because we need mental health agencies, like community mental health agencies in our community. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I personally know how much they do for the community. So I will do anything I can to help them because I know how essential they are to the community. Because I've worked in the community for so long. And so they do so much. So I want to do whatever I can to help but I'm learning a lot in that role as well. And if you're, yeah, if you're ever interested in getting involved in a board, I would not hesitate because having the clinical lens, too. And then, mm. of course, it doesn't have to be a clinical agency board, but wherever you go, if you have that clinical background, I think that is helpful, regardless of what kind of board or agency it might be. Sure. Because in nursing and healthcare, those kind of skills can really fit in a lot of different settings.
0: Yes, absolutely. And again, going back to what a perfect role for a nurse, somebody who sees the world in a very unique way, could be really beneficial for everybody. And I just think nurses are pretty reasonable people. And so having us on a board could really be helpful to steer that in a direction that is more people serving and people forward rather than fiduciary responsibilities and things, <laughs> which is important and places have to keep the lights on to to be able to stay open and that sort of stuff. But I think sometimes in my experience, some of those boards really are just kind of fiduciary sorts of boards and lose sight of the mission a lot of times. And I think what a great place for a nurse to be able to steer that ship back into mission-driven kind of work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would not hesitate doing that. And we do. We have unique experiences that can be helpful. And just like if you're working in your clinical team, there's going to be people from all different backgrounds. So I yeah. think we're used to doing that. Anyhow. Yes. Yeah. And so it's a good fit.
0: Absolutely. So now, the most terrifying part of this interview. That you were the most worried about when I asked you to do this. I am. And so I ask everybody to talk about music in a playlist that they feel highlights their work or reminds them of their work. And you told me you stressed about this and you had to rope in other people to help you.
1: I did. So I I do. I love music. So personally, I love music. I will listen to any type of music. So if I can just turn on the radio, I will be happy. I don't it has, doesn't have to be a specific genre. The problem I have is often I don't know what I'm listening to, so I can't always right. tell you the song name or the band or the singer. I don't know all of that aspect. I have never played. I was. I wish that's something I had done. I wish I could play an instrument or be music. I'm just not musically gifted. Okay. And so I, but I appreciate music. Mm-hmm. So with that, yeah.
0: But your summers on the uh, lifeguard stand, <laughs> you probably had all kinds of things blaring, right?
1: Well, a lot of my time, I should mention, was working indoors ah okay i know of course but i did work some outdoors (laughs) so yes i'm very happy listening to music so what i thought about when you brought this up is that helping facilitate music groups nice As, as an inpatient nurse yeah that was something i so i loved doing groups And specifically, the music group was always interesting, I thought. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to go back. And so I had to do some Googling, as you can imagine, because I couldn't remember all the titles or I could remember pieces of it. So I have a list. I pulled out my phone so that I could remember some of the... I feel like these were some of the songs that came up often for people. So I heard them a lot yes. because also inpatient people are often listening to music mm-hmm. while they're inpatient because it is such a great coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Tool. So these are some of the songs that I often heard from music group and I will try to if the titles are wrong, I'm, I'm, sorry <laughs> I'm sure they're that, I'm so. sure
0: they're absolutely fine.
1: Yes. So one that was pretty common was Hurt by Johnny Cash. Okay. Have you heard
0: that? It's it's originally a Nine Inch Nail song, but That's- I think that Johnny Cash's version is a much better version because it's this man at the end of his life, essentially. Oh, okay. It, when he recorded that, he was very, very old. I mean, he died like a couple years after that. And you just have this, I mean, Johnny's got soul in spades. And so it's this man at the end of his life and talking about, you know, everybody I know goes away in the end. I mean, that's one of the lines of the song. And this man who's lost the love of his life, right? And then all of these other friends. So sorry, I'm stealing your thunder. But like, it's a a beautiful pick because like Johnny's version is way better than the Nine Inch Nails version. Yeah.
1: Well, that's funny you said that. And I appreciate because you know more about it than I do. But I brought up to my husband who knows music a lot better than I do very late last night about my (laughs) about some of my picks and when I said that he that's the first thing he said he's like that was originally Nine Inch Nails song yeah it's like well I only heard the Johnny Cash version so I'm gonna write down Johnny Cash
0: (laughs) no but he made that song his it to me it's the quintessential version of that song because it's got just this incredible power to it Rick Rubin who produced that album just came out with a book and then I need to read it because Rick Rubin would produce everybody like any kind of genre. He would do rap. He would do rock. He would do Johnny. He would do like anybody, but his way of coming into music production brought out these incredible performances like, like Johnny Cash's version of hurt. Yeah.
1: Well, see, I'm glad you can fill in the blanks for me, but this was a common pick and it's an excellent song. Too, Absolutely. So. Yes. So another song I've heard, I heard quite a bit. I had to look this up. Paralyzed by NF.
0: I don't know that song yet. No, I don't know yeah. that song. Well, you'll have to. Okay. To that one. Okay.
1: Then get back to me if you like it. Or All anything. right. So, but it's about depression. Okay. Another one. Hang on by low pro.
0: I don't know that one either.
1: Um, It's more about people being overwhelmed. Okay. In general. So okay. that was pretty common because a lot of people could relate to it. Gotcha. So it was. It does not appear to be diagnosis specific. Okay. Another one I heard, "Adam's Song by Blink-182. Yep. Yep. You know that. So, I do know that one. So that, and then the other one, this is the last one. It's probably not a full playlist, so. It's perfectly fine. Unwell by Matchbox 20. Okay. Was, yep. I know that one too. That was, so those are the ones that kind of stood out to me. Mm-hmm. And I over the years that people had talked about quite frequently. And it it is very neat if you ever have the chance to be in a music group to hear people's interpretations of songs and, you know, why they mean something to them. But obviously these ones are more psych specific because that's Mm. what we were going for with the group.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I did that with an, an adolescent group probably once a week or once every two weeks, once people cycled through and I would do another music group with adolescents on an inpatient unit. And it was really powerful how they took that and what things meant to them and how things spoke to them was just a really powerful tool to talk in ways that they really struggled to say sometimes. And you could get into somebody's head a little bit more through poetry essentially which is kind of what music is
1: absolutely yeah and people too. it when it was interesting because when people would be admitted inpatient sometimes one of the first things they would ask because remember you can't usually have your phone or whatnot in most cases Mm -hmm. you know how can I get access to music because it is so important it's a great relaxing relaxation technique but also if people are experiencing auditory hallucinations that can really help tune them out yes and so I've thought a lot about how to make sure people get access to music.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I always had to filter songs beforehand. So I had to I had to tell them like, we're doing music group. So I want you to give me a song so I can look up the lyrics to make sure it's okay for us to read and listen to in in group. And sometimes I would have to be like, well, I appreciate that you picked that song, <laughs> but it's maybe a little bit too spicy for group. Can we pick a different one?
1: Exactly. No, that was our process too—to to look up the lyrics first yeah. and do a screening. So there's got to be some pre-planning for this group, of yes. course. Which is yeah. nice if you're impatient, you can mm-hmm. plan those things.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. You're, you're knowing that you're doing your group at three o'clock, and so by lunchtime you can run around and ask people what what songs they want to talk about. Yes. But it was a really powerful tool, and always one of my favorite groups to do with people.
1: Me too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I absolutely loved it, and. I've learned a lot more about music. I will probably think of more songs, but that's what I finally came up with. Yes. You did perfectly,
0: Jess. It was fantastic.
1: And thanks to my husband for also helping me some identify with, if I remember, an stray lyric here or there, helping me track these out.
0: (laughs) So you know you can activate Siri on your phone and just hold it up to a song, and it will tell you the name of the song. So
1: he told me that. Okay. And... I do not how to do that myself. Okay. But I actually cannot even figure out how to get Siri on this phone. I got a new phone a couple of months ago. No. You cannot.
0: just say, hey, S-I-R-I. And she comes on. And she comes on. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I'm, I'm probably doing something wrong. But, yes, I've learned about that technique. Yes. So I'm learning more about this phone. So,
0: it's a fancy phone. I'm looking at it right now. It's wonderful. Yes. Um. Thank you. Yes.
1: Last one the store had after I broke mine. Unexpectedly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jess, it's so great to talk with you. And what I love about doing these is people that I see all the time and know really well, just getting to hear your story more in depth because I get bits and pieces of it and know about you and that kind of stuff. But like hearing all about the work that you did, I think just helps me to know you better and appreciate you even more if that was even possible.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me and thank you for everything you're doing. This is really neat. I've enjoyed listening to podcasts myself and appreciate everything you do.
0: Yes. Well, thank you, Jess. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.